Christianity today no longer represents Christianity today or ever because don't know if you know it or not, but they've gone absolutely woke. So today I'm gonna to respond to a video that Russell Moore just did for Christianity Today. We'll look at it and show why the woke social justice gospel is totally mentally and spiritually bankrupt. We'll do that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. If you're looking to refinance or purchase a new home, then you need to go to someone you can trust. And the most trusted name in the home mortgage business is our friends over at the Kevin Blair team with Element Home Loans. So go over to kevinblairteam.com today if you want to put your family's future and your future home in the right hands. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. What's up, independent thinkers? Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I hope you're ready to crush some echo chambers. Before you do that, I wanna to say, today is the last day for you to sign up and to come to our Indie Thinker Live event because it's tonight, July 14th, 6.30 p.m. here in Chattanooga. If you want more information, you can go down below in the description of this video and you can register for the event and hear more about it, but here's just a quick promo of who our guest is. Chris Buckley, former U.S. Army Sergeant, recovering drug addict, former KKK, Imperial Nighthawk. I'm helping on extremism cases from KKK to Islamism, eco-terrorism, Antifa, and others. Extremism is not a political problem. This is not simply a Republican or a Democrat problem. This is a human problem. I'm here to tell you that bad things happen, but it's up to us to choose what we do with our wounds. It's going to be a fantastic night, and I encourage you all to come if you can. And it's not too late to sign up, even though it's today. Do something with your kids. Throw them in a closet. Just kidding, of course, YouTube. Uh, but do whatever you can to, to make it out. It's going to be a fantastic night. Now, I just wanted to use this one story kind of as a backdrop for everything that we're going to be talking about today. So Kelly Stafford, who is Matthew Stafford's wife, who is a Christian, uh, Matthew is a very public uh, professing Christian, and um, obviously his wife is not in the spotlight, but she is a Christian as well. And she was just recently uh, in an interview where she talked about her pro-abortion views, and the headline says this. Kelly Stafford opens up about abortion rights. I would love for my girls to have the right to choose. Now here's a quote from that article that I want to share with you real quick, and she said this. I would love for my girls to have the right to choose, Stafford shared. I think it's an important lesson, like, listen, this is what can happen, and it's not a decision that I think people take lightly. I think where people get stuck on is like, just because you agree with some, with wanting something to be able to choose does not mean that you are like so pro-abortion. You can have your issues with abortion. You're just saying that every woman should have the right to choose what to do with their body in the future. Like, okay, a couple things, Kelly. Like, a baby in your womb is not a choice, it's actually a human being. And like, okay, even in like the case of rape and incest, like, should you punish a baby because of another person's crime? And like, is that baby in your womb a life or not? Like, cause if it is a life, then you probably shouldn't like kill it. 
So suffice to say, I, I'm, I'm really not trying to make too much fun here. I'm, I'm just simply pointing out this, this idea that even for Christians, we're, we're, there's these ideologies, these talking points that are invading the brains and eating away the brains of Christians like a parasite. And we find that even professing Christians who should know better are saying things like what Kelly Stafford just said. And so this is the, I'm using this as a backdrop because this is exactly the case with Christianity today. You will hear them profess Christian faith. You will hear them say things sometimes that you can find in the Bible. But underneath, a lot of what they're saying is very troubling because they are willing to castigate very Christian ideas and malign them and push them to the side, just like our friend Kelly Stafford just did. Now, um, I, I, I want to tease this out a little bit more, but I'll do this more a, a little bit later. But it's it's the kulak or the dekulakization of of Christianity is what I'm going to call it. Essentially, we are exterminating Christian ideas for the sake of woke ideas or empathetic social gospel talking points. And we find it harder and harder to stand up for the truth anymore. And I think a prime example, well, let me step back. We, we find it harder to stand up for the truth more and more. Places like Christianity today are finding it harder and harder and harder in the midst of a woke culture out there in the ether. They're finding it harder and harder to stand up, which means that we, since our institutions are failing us by and large, we as Christians, we as people who care about the truth, we as people who care about the unborn, are going to have to do the best that we can to stand up for truth in the wake of institutions failing us, right? So this is the case in point with Christianity today, which again, doesn't represent Christianity. And so I want to take you to Russell Moore, who is the head of theological projects for Christianity today, and his interview with Kristen Dumay, who is a feminist theologian. And in this conversation, there's some, some just eye-opening, jaw-dropping things that these guys talk about that I think are so important for us. Because if you're not careful, you will fall for the veneer of Christianity. Like I think people like Kelly Stafford do. Like, God bless her. I think there are so many people right now who are falling for the veneer of Christianity because it sounds right. Maybe they're in a cultural setting like Kelly is in LA where you, you have to kind of regurgitate the talking points or you're socially ostracized. Uh, but nonetheless, don't fall for the veneer. Don't fall for the black, the emotional blackmail and the extortion of the left. Stand up for the truth because on the other side of that stance really is something that is deeply helpful for people. I've said it before and I'll say it again, that one of the most beneficial things that you can do for people is to demolish their worldview built upon lies. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about this when we get to dekulakization, but I want to hold off for now and just bring you to the video. So here is Russell Moore speaking to Kristen Dumay, um, uh, essentially about the, the ills and the evils of white Christian male evangelicals. So in other words, this is toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement all rolled up in a ball and then a cross hung over it and then thrown at the face of white male evangelicals. So here is their conversation. So our guest today is Kristen Dumay of Calvin University, who is the author of Jesus and John Wayne. So I just want to stop real quick because I think I forgot to mention this. Kristen Dumay is the author of Jesus and John Wayne, and it's a book about how white male evangelicals destroyed Christianity because they voted for Trump or some such nonsense. We'll get into it a little bit more, but just wanted to make sure you have that reference point. Jesus and John Wayne is not just some weird 
like subject matter that they're talking about on the episode today. It's actually the name of the book that Kristen Dumay wrote. Kristen, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, I mentioned to you the other day um, that I, I sort of, I have a list um, that I sort of keep in Google Keep of of milestone dates, so that, that I can sort of think about. Oh well, this is the date of my baptism, or this is the date of uh, some significant thing happening. One of those dates is October the seventh, because uh, this was the this was the day in 2016 when the Access Hollywood uh, tape released with a candidate for president talking in really, really shockingly crude and um, violent, I would say, terms uh, about women. And one of the things that the reasons that I mark that as a as a defining point is because I thought, well, a lot of my fellow evangelicals who have been well-meaning, they didn't really understand what was going on here, they'll stand up and, and repudiate this. And they didn't. Uh, instead, I started hearing well, this is just locker room talk and, and so forth. And even some of them who did say something about it uh, then later changed their mind and, and turned around. Like, okay, I got to stop right there and just say, this is so weird to me that, that first of all, this is really weird to me that Russell Moore put that date, <laughs> the date of the Access Hollywood. This is where, by the way, this is where Donald Trump says, grab him by the P word, right? Um, and this was before he was elected. Um, and that Access Hollywood tape, I, I don't remember how many years before he was actually running for president this, is, this actually took place. Um, but, uh, but it's just so weird that that becomes this, this groundbreaking moment in Russell Moore's life. And, I, and that seems, I, I just have to tell you, I, I don't really think Russell Moore is dishonest. I fundamentally disagree with him on almost everything, including his, um, including his choice of like, everything. Okay. I was going to say something else, but I'll, I'll be nice today. I'm trying to be nice. But anyway, we, we probably disagree on more things than we agree upon. And because I know we say like, you guys agree more than you, than you really think you do. No, we probably disagree upon a lot. Uh, but suffice to say, um, I don't think he's being honest here. I don't think he literally put that in his Google Keep because he felt like that was such an important date. Now, the reason why I don't think it was such an important date to him, and this serves as the backdrop for the beginning of their conversation. We'll get into this in just a little bit more. Uh, but the reason I don't think it was such an important date for him is because his explanation that he felt like this was the culminating moment where evangelicals would take a stand and stand up against Donald Trump because of this Access Hollywood tape. The reason I don't believe him there is this, is that I am a white male evangelical and I know the vast majority of people did speak up against this. And there isn't a single white male evangelical on the planet who actually applauded him for saying this kind of thing. Now, sure, did they rationalize it by saying uh, the locker room talking point is something that we can relate to because people, when they don't know they're being recorded or don't know that things are going on, they, they say all sorts of things kind of jokingly that they don't really mean or that aren't really a part of who they are. Now, is it possible that that's true of Donald Trump, that that's who he is? I think it's almost even possible that that's kind of the kind of guy that this dude was uh, before he realized he got to keep his nose clean because he's going to run for the president. But there's a bigger overarching point. The point is this, is that he's playing innocent and he's playing foolish because he knows that we do not vote for people based upon 
just simply their 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 level of morality, right? We don't we don't vote for people because they're so great and so amazing, so we have to vote for them. Like I cannot remember a single election in my whole life where I voted for a single person because I thought that they were some moral leader. No. Every single election, unless we're trying to be willingly naive to prove a point, every single election that we, that we uh, vote in, we're typically voting against the other person. And this is for the life of me what I don't understand about the left and people who, who lean very liberal is that they, they don't seem to be willing to acknowledge the basic fact that we all know we are always voting for the lesser of two evils because politics and people are flawed, all of them. So we're just voting at least for the least flawed person. And it is clear that Donald Trump was voted into office because according to the vast majority of Americans, or at least according to the people that voted him in, okay, um, he was less flawed than Hillary Clinton, right? So we're, you're obviously not talking about Hillary Clinton's abortion views. You're not talking about Hillary Clinton's incredible, like, connections to Saul Alinsky and and his socialist ties and like you're not willing to jump into any of those things uh, and the reason is is because you're willfully being ignorant about something that we all know very well okay I got to keep moving here because I don't want to take this much time with all of them but um, but it's just fascinating to me that he would start off with such a bold-faced lie uh, suggesting that this is what the make or break point for the election was and not something that actually People are dying over like abortion. All right, let's keep going. So I was surprised, and I think it's fair to say rattled by that. But I think you would say I shouldn't have been surprised by that. Is that is that right? <laughs> yeah, you know, going back in time, that day too for me is is uh, uh, a kind of a turning point. That's it was in the aftermath, the the, the days after that uh, event that I knew I needed to write this book. And and it was because I uh, years earlier, more than a decade earlier, I had started researching evangelical masculinity and particularly what seemed to me a really militant strand of it in the early 2000s. Now, I got to stop right there. This warrior idea or militant Christianity. Now, again, this, there's this healthy amount of willful ignorance that flows throughout all of this conversation with these two. For instance, willful ignorance. There's not a single Christian man, no white male evangelical, since this is what we're talking about. There's no white male evangelical on the planet that actually thinks you should take up arms and militantly fight against people who disagree with you. This is, this, she knows this to be true. This is not happening. So what she means then is people who want to militate against ideas. So let me just ask a question. Are we not supposed to militate against ideas? I mean, honestly, when we're talking about transing children, something that is causing a exponentially high suicide rate in children, don't you think that we should fight, there's a militating word for you, fight against the transitioning of children? Don't you think we should fight against the gender grooming of children by drag queens and the LGBTQIA community wherever it happens? I'm not saying it's widespread. I'm not saying that all of them are groomers by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just simply saying if we do find political grooming or sexual grooming in any shape, form, or fashion, shouldn't we militate against it? Shouldn't we militate against the uh, the the destruction of the unborn, the termination of life of the unborn, should we not militate against it? By the way, even if you disagree with some of those things, which I don't really know how you can and call yourself a Christian, the one thing you can't disagree with is the fact that the Bible actually uses militant language. But hey, let's not stop 
with our really awesome feminist worldview simply because the Bible is inconvenient to it. So. Mm. This um, kind of warrior ideal, and I'd spent a year and a half looking into it, and I was I was disturbed by what I what I saw. Um, I encountered deeply misogynistic, crass teachings about masculinity that were, you know, cloaked as as Christian, and I also saw the implications in terms of uh, militarism and, and foreign policy. And I was exploring all those things. And so here's the thing that I want to I want you guys to key in on. I have to stop there again because here's this point. She said, "I saw this all this militating and this militant language." Guys, whenever a scholar especially who knows better uh, gives you um, an accusation without an example, be highly skeptical. Throughout this whole conversation, she will not provide a single instance of the kind of militating language she's talking about. Um, she's just going to say that it exists and then she expects you to believe it. By the way, I've read Jesus and John Wayne. The whole book acts like that. Uh, there is no citing of the sources, in other words. There is this constant um, jockeying for position, this constant ideological speech, but no proof behind her accusations. And again, we're going to keep on going here. Her only proof of this is Donald Trump said, grab the pee on a video. Um, before he was voted into office and then Christians voted him into office regardless of that. That's your proof that Christianity has been eaten up by this misogynistic, chauvinistic, male understanding of humanity. Um, all right, so let's keep looking. And if as a Christian, as a Christian scholar, if I should be, you know, if Christian it was scholar. fringe, if it if it was right for me to, to shine what might be a, a, you know, a bright light on the darkest underbelly of American Christianity, to be honest. Uh, so I set it aside. I, I just have to, the, the great, the underbelly of Christianity. I just, I'm, I'm just curious. Um, I know that we can have a different opinion as to what constitutes a threat, but I'm just, I'm just purely curious here. Is it not a threat that uh, the woke social justice gospel movement is trying to deteriorate Christian truth and turn everything into a justice issue rather than a moral issue, uh, rather than an issue of the human heart and the necessity of transformation by, um, by the reading of scripture and by the power of God? Is that not at least an issue for those of us who are Christians? But yet we're going to talk about the underbelly of Christianity um, being being militant masculinity, which of course she knows is not actual, like taking up arms and fighting, um, is is rather it's an idea that people are militate men are militating against certain ideas, right? So this is this is the the thing. We're not going to talk about uh, transgenderism in the church. We're not going to talk about homosexuality in the church. We're not going to talk about the perversion of scripture by the uh, the uh, progressive Christian movement. We're going to talk about Christian. Me male masculinity as the real threat in the Christian church. Like, what? And what I saw in the ensuing decade is one after another become implicated in scandal, in sexual abuse, in abuse of power. And I saw these repeated patterns of people surrounding them, uh, condoning that, uh, defending them, blaming the victims. And so in the Victim days blaming. after I wonder where the she got that from. Hollywood tape Not the release, Bible, by the way. it suddenly dawned on me when I heard all the excuses, when I heard the justification, when I heard, when I saw that conservative evangelicals were, were sticking with him because um, he was going to defend them. And you know, it's kind of boys will be boys mentality. All of a sudden it clicked. I had heard this before. I'd 
seen this before. And it's at that point that I realized um, kind of what we were looking at. And that it, it wasn't an aberration. This wasn't a betrayal of, of core evangelical values. In many ways, this is the fulfillment of, of the shape that I'd seen. Now, we're going to go a little bit further here because I don't want to keep on belaboring the point. But this is a violation of core evangelical values. By the way, a violation of core evangelical values, if we're going to argue that it is like this extreme misogynistic masculinity, uh, can we have a conversation about uh, extreme feminism? Because you're actually listening to, guys, by the way, you're listening to a Christian feminist. You're listening to a feminist theologian, as it were. Uh, and you can look up Kristen's um, kind of pedigree and what she teaches and where she comes from and the kind of people who have taught her and what she's indoctrinating other students with into this kind of feminist version of Christian theology. So, um, so if there is a violation of Christian tenets, I just find it very interesting that we're only interested in talking about the things that Kristen doesn't like. But again, we're not going to give you any examples of the, the kind of things she's talking about. And we're certainly not going to quote scripture to talk about why it's a problem. Uh, but we're just going to say that it's such a threat and it's the underbelly and it's so evil and it's a violation of Christian evangelicalism simply because Kristen says so. Um, so again, I, I just defy you. Go through the, this whole thing and look for clear violations of scripture that she wants to accuse people of. You know why she can't do that? Because she herself is not using scripture to prove any of her feminist doctrinal uh, standpoints. Okay, well, let's take a several parts of that um, that I'm interested in exploring. One of those things would be uh, you talk in the book and uh, elsewhere about uh, this idea of um, militancy, of sort of a, a warrior Christ. Oh, you mean like that Jesus that turned over the tables? Look, I'm not trying to cherry pick scriptures, but like she's clearly nut picking, which means she's just trying to find whatever fringe person she can to try to justify her point, uh, which may be me at this point, just simply because I disagree with her. But suffice to say, we're talking about a Jesus who was pretty argumentative, by the way, with people who tried to resist him. Now, he was smart enough, unlike me sometimes, to uh, walk away and just realize when people didn't care about the truth at all, uh, which I may risk doing in this conversation, but I want to believe these people actually care about the truth. I want to believe they at least have not been so indoctrinated and so deceived that they actually do care about scripture. I, I believe this is true of Russell. Really don't know because the jury's still out on Kristen here, but um, I want to believe for the best in these guys. Um, but but this when they do things like suggest that Jesus would never be militant. Like Jesus would never call people names. Jesus would never argue with anybody. Jesus would never turn over tables uh, in, in, in the temple to try to throw out the money changers in the temple. Like we can talk about why any of that stuff took place, but please, please, please do not present to me the pansy Jesus that walked around with hippie braids and peace loved of everywhere that he went and just tried to make sure that everybody was smoking just enough reefer to just be at peace with the world, man. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. So let's quit trying to pretend that this is who he was. That sometimes there is an overreaction to the last bad thing. And so you have a, you have a picture in scripture of a very complicated uh, Jesus who is, um, who is uh, I mean, Revelation 19, uh, appearing in the sky drenched in, in blood. I mean, this is a, this is a warrior, uh, someone who's coming out of the house of David. Okay, this is exactly the point. So I'm glad Russell went through the trouble of bringing up what I've already tried to bring up here, which is that 
There is militant language in the Bible. And when the Bible uses militant language, you're not supposed to take it literally. And by and large, the vast majority of Christians, since I don't know a single one that does, they don't take it literally. They take it metaphorically. Uh, militant language in the Bible is used as a means of trying to encourage us to despise evil and to love the good. So when Christian men come around militating against bad ideas, we are doing the same thing. So again, if we're talking about militating against people, this is clearly not what Jesus, um, in, in a physical manner, this is clearly not what Jesus was talking about. Um, what the Bible clearly is talking about is militating against bad ideas. And since by and large, this is what white male evangelical men are doing, what are we even talking about? Do you think that do you think that sometimes there's a flipping back and forth from a uh, a very soft, uh, gentle Jesus where people go to the New Testament and say, eh, that doesn't really fit everything there, to this sort of hyper-masculine um, battling uh, everyone and, and stacking up the enemies, Jesus. Do you think that there's some of that that's that's an overreaction for people? Yeah, exactly. This is the point. The person who is the extremist here are you guys. You guys don't want to admit that there's a militant masculine side of Jesus that is undeniable. See, we're willing to admit the same, the, both, at least I am, is that, hey, there's, there's this grace, there's this love, there's this side of Jesus that was incredibly appealing and attractive, but there was also this other side of Jesus that was clearly militant. So you are the ones who guys are denying that aspect of Jesus. Sure, are there people who run to either extremes? In the sense that they're actually taking up arms and being militant? Absolutely not. So what are we talking about? Just this idea that maybe that then there may be people who take masculinity a little bit too far by maybe smoking cigars on the lawn and drinking beer and eating roasted game at a Bible study. Like, please explain to me the real harm in that. The best you can give, and we're going to get this here in just a moment, the best you can give is that that may alienate some other people and hurt their feelings. Okay, so this is what we're talking about at the end of the day. So you're all wrapped up in empathy, but you have such a disregard for the truth in the process which ultimately leads us to the social gospel. All right, one more clip. You can see a kind of cultural pendulum swing uh, when we look at uh, perceptions of masculinity, of Christian manhood, but I would complicate that just a little bit and what may be some assumptions there of, you know, what is masculinity and what is femininity? And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that there's a lot of kind of cultural packaging that goes on there. How about this? What's not good for men is not having a father in the home. How about that? So like a truly masculine figure in the home might actually be good for, for boys. Not the fact that we're trying to extol masculine virtues and differentiating them from feminine virtues. I would think that's actually kind of a logical practice. And what we might want to do is also in the process of logic suggest that men lacking male mo role models in the home is probably the bigger issue than more than anything uh, because they're by and large young boys especially um, who are in broken homes are being raised by women. That doesn't present an issue whatsoever? Of course not. And you're in a time when uh, when gender distinctions are evaporated and erased and, and there's a great deal of confusion about well, what does it mean to be a person first, but then what does it mean to be a man or a woman? And so emphasizing the differences, that's because no one else will acknowledge them. 
what would you say to someone who who sort of gets into that mode of argumentation mm-hmm. here? So I actually don't have these kinds of arguments all that often because as a historian, I I, I tend to be quite descriptive. So describing, you know, Mm -hmm. how people have these arguments rather than telling people what they ought to think, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's what historians can do here is just bring Mm -hmm. in the context and say, ah, this is, uh, you know, how how this set of individuals are making sense of their world. This is how they're making sense of of masculinity in this moment. And, And this is how they're interacting with the Christian scriptures in this moment. So uh, I have some expertise in that area. When it comes to telling people what they ought to think and what they ought to do, that's where, you know, I'm I'm kind of yeah, um, sure. uh, an amateur in a sense. I do have some opinions, though. Now, I just want to stop there and just say this. This is such a lie. So what she's saying right there, I'm sorry. What she's saying right there is that I'm the objective one just talking about history and trying to present the picture of the way things go without an agenda. This is so not true. And, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with an agenda if the agenda is based upon truth. And this is the thing at the end of the day. What they want to do is they want to de the church. They want to, I don't even know if that's a word, but de is just this idea. Is that Stalin back in the day, when he wanted, because he was an evil son of a gun, wanted to take land from the kulaks. These are people who just recently, uh, you know, probably gained just at least a, l- a little bit of wealth so that they could own their own land and then maybe even have a servant or two that would help them kind of tend that land um, or maybe even tend basic chores around the home and that kind of thing. So these are people who were wealthy landowners, but perhaps not even that wealthy. These are people who worked their fingers to the bone to get to where they were. And and Stalin ginned up resentment against those people um, and wanted to exterminate the kulaks and did so in the tune of hundreds of thousands of kulaks um, and had the lower class um, peasants kind of revolt against the kulaks and killed them. Well, then what followed was something called the Holodomor. Because these wealthy landowners were exterminated by the hundreds of thousands by the rhetoric of Stalin, what then happened was that there was no one to tend the land because the landowners who had built this land up into what it was were exterminated. And so now the crops were failing and then there was famine in the land. And now millions of people starved and died as a result of the Holodomor. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because it all started with a basic premise. We're going to vilify those that we disagree with, or we're going to vilify those that we do not like, and we're, and we're going to gen up a lie about them in order to try to get rid of them. Now, let me be clear. What I am not saying is that Kristen Dumay and Christianity Today, that they're trying to uh, eradicate people, get rid of them, and they're trying to do the thing that they're you know, accusing us of, of being militant. I'm, I'm not saying that. I want to make a simple argument here, that, that ill-willed people always start with a dishonest um, statement, with a dishonest premise. Uh, and then they use that dishonest premise to try to, uh, to, try to distance themselves from the people that they, that they do not like. Um, I, to put it a different way, I would just say this. If you really want to get to the truth, the one thing that you cannot do is despise the people that you're talking about. And this is exactly what Kristen Dumez does. And quite frankly, I think Russell Moore does as well. They're not willing to actually hear the other side of the argument, and they're not actually willing to talk to people um, in a 
thoughtful manner that disagree with them. What they want to do is they want to paint the other side of the aisle um, with villainistic language, calling them the underbelly, calling them, you know, uh, people who malign Christian virtue. And more importantly, they want to hijack people emotionally by saying, these are the people who are, who are militant. They're the Trump voter. They're the, the MAGA hat-wearing Christians of this generation, and they must be stopped because they pose the greatest threat to evangelicalism. No, the greatest threat to evangelicalism, past, present, and future, is the same as it has always been. A group of people who do not know the Bible and wish to malign the Bible for their own purposes. In other words, the de-kulakization of Christians from an ideological perspective. We wish to lump them over in a category. We're going to call them names like the underbelly of Christianity, say they malign Christian virtues, and we're going to say they're misogynistic and chauvinistic. We're not going to provide any examples of it, though, whatsoever, because it is an attempt to demonize people that we disagree with, and that's what I mean by de now, the kind of Christianity that's espoused by Kristen and the kind of Christianity that you see from Russell in this video are just the kind of Christianity that is destined for the waste bin of history. Because this woke gospel, this moral therapeutic deism that just says people are supposed to feel good, we're not supposed to fight against anything, and um, we just want to be positive and light, but we don't actually want to confront evil. In fact, we rather wish just to disregard it and ignore it. Uh, maybe the, even this kind of Christianity, the real evil is, is Christian evangelical white males rather than the gender transitioning of children, rather than the extermination of life in the womb. Like, if you don't call people to the right kind of fight, of course they're not going to be interested in Christianity. They're going to leave the church. By and large, this is why Gen Z is leaving the church. We have not convinced them that we have the tools or the will to actually fight real fights in the church anymore. Most of our cowards, uh, sorry, a slip of the tongue, Freudian slip. Most of our pastors um, will not stand up for those kind of things, and it and it doesn't really appeal to certainly a younger generation, and um, and the kind of woke Christianity that's espoused in this video is destined for the waste bin of, of history because that's where it belongs. And so we need to get back to a biblical form of Christianity that corresponds with scripture and not fall for the talking points that we heard in this video. So if you're willing to think for yourself on that kind of stuff and you're willing to crush the echo chamber, make sure to crush that like button and make sure to crush that subscribe button and click the bell to be notified for new episodes. And then you can also comment below if this video was helpful and you can share it with friends. And I hope it was helpful. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.